everybody. Welcome back to The Taste. This is Doug Schaefer at Schaefer Vineyards. Before we get into today's podcast, I want to mention a couple of important things. First, we recorded this before the recent fires that damaged and destroyed a lot of homes and businesses in the area. It's been a tough time here, but we're going to be fine. We have incredible community spirit, and we'll recover and move forward, and there will be a Napa and Sonoma to visit, and there will be Napa and Sonoma wines to drink. But none of that comes up in this episode, and I wanted you to know why. The second thing is, I'd just like to say thank you. Many, many of you have reached out to our winery and to the wineries up and down the valley with your support, with words of incredible kindness and friendship. One reason we're going to be okay is because of you, because of your unbelievable generosity and spirit. So thank you. Now, on today's podcast, and I'm really excited about today's episode, you know the old saying that wine is made in the vineyard? Well, we're going to dig into that one today because we're talking to Oscar Renneria, who does make wine, but his main thing is running Renneria Vineyard Management, a company that manages more than 2,000 acres of wine grapes throughout the valley. Oscar's got great stories about growing up here and working with his dad, running the company. We have a lot to get into, so let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Taste. This is Doug Schaefer from the beautiful Napa Valley, and we've got uh, a special guest today, Mr. Oscar Renneria. He's CEO, owner of the family-owned Renneria Vineyard Management Company, one of the largest vineyard management companies in Napa Valley. Uh, Welcome, Oscar. How are you? Oh God, Doug, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. Um, Thank you for having me on today. It's It's a privilege and an honor. Oh man, I, thanks for taking the time. I got to tell you, um, I was thinking about you the other night. I was trying to think about when the first time we met, and I think it was at, I think it was at a, a school open house for both our daughters were going to the same school, and I, you know, I ran in, Randy, we started talking. I'd I'd heard about you. You were a fair, you're, you know, you you have a reputation out there. And I'd heard about this crazy guy Oscar Renneria, and so all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're meeting each other, and it's like you know, yeah, I know him. Yeah, I work with him. It's like, we have all these people in common, but you and I have never, our paths had never crossed. I thought that was kind of wild right. after all these years. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had met your, you know, before I met you, I had met your father. We go back to the day when, uh, you know, he was serving in clinical lay. He was, he was asking for money and coming <laughs> around. I, I, all these guys at the table and these ladies uh, of, you know, of age and respect. And then there was this, uh, single uh you know mexican-american young guy over here and quite an honor i mean your dad your your father taught me about giving and the importance of the community i was that was i was young i think you were probably in diapers i don't remember <laughs> i was that's 20 that's like 18 20 years ago wow crazy i yeah, never knew so. i never knew that you knew him early that's great oh that's cool. absolutely he he hunted me down i said you know what my five dollars is more like your five thousand but I'm, I'm i'm gonna give but he got me include he got me involved got me engaged he educated me and it was it was the start of my awareness of being you know being involved in the community and it started with your father first and foremost yeah it was a big it was a big kick in the butt for sure which is great super thanks for sharing yeah. that man. it's great to yeah, hear absolutely. yeah absolutely yeah so listen i want to get into your story but i want your let's you're not just you it's your family story so the whole deal so we got to go way back to set the stage for everybody knows what's going on. But before we get to that, I haven't had any anybody on here that that works in vineyard management. I mean, you know, you own and run this amazingly 
successful vineyard management company. How how do you explain that to someone? On you know, I mean, so what do you, what do you guys do? Oh, boy, um, <laughs> you know that's a that's that's a good one. We do uh, we do a lot of things that people don't see, but hopefully, what we we end up doing is uh, being able to deliver you know the best fruit possible for folks and work in their land. And we're, we're we're protecting assets and we're nurturing. We're hoping we're bringing happiness to winemakers and their their endeavors. Um, uh, but we're, uh, as my dad says, is we're babysitting, you know, people's children. And he relates kid, he relates children to the stages of growth of vines and how to treat them and how they wake up and their stages of growth. Uh, you know, and I just, I've, I've been born, I was born to it and just love to do it. But, you know, we tend to a lot of things people don't see. We've got a, you know, we're fighting pests and disease. We're managing cover crops. We're looking at how we can improve. And we live in a valley in an area where it's very competitive, but it's great for those that want to be the best and this nothing here nothing more than the valley drives you to want to be the best the endeavor it's, it's a lot you know people always get excited and you know as you know we're we're just are starting harvest now but really for us the busy time of the season has started a while ago from protecting vines at frost when people are asleep we're up protecting it's it's definitely a love of the land. It's a love of, of doing something that grows and produces something. And then we hand over those chicks for you guys to, you know, to do, to do wonders with. And hopefully those chicks will bring you some, uh, some good results. There you go. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not as much of a farmer as you are with, for sure, but it, uh, it does seem like the farmers are the ones that are always out in the dark. <laughs> you know, they, they, they yeah. start early with frost protection. It can be at, you know, midnight or one or two in the morning. And then you're up early anyway during the growing season. And then the harvest comes and everybody picks at night now. So now you're, you know, working 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night till sunup. I mean, I, I tell people when they visit Napa Valley, they, like during harvest, they say, hey, we want to say, see picking. I say, well, you're out of luck. Or, <laughs> yeah. or get, a, get a late dinner and or stay up and then go drive around at one or two in the morning and look for uh, these lunar lander type you know, lighting <laughs> operations. And then there'll be a crew of, five, crew of folks picking grapes. That's great. Exactly. No, exactly. That's what exactly what it is, Doug. You know, it, it, it's interesting because there's, you know, uh, growing grapes uh, in the valley, and and you know, again, like I said, you know, I, I come from a, a legacy, and I'll tell you about that in a bit. But um, it's just, it's, it's, just, I, I find it to be in, in thrill. I mean, just thrilling because every season. I know we hear this all the time. Every season is different. It really is. It really is. And not only that, but vines the way that, you know, vines, how they mature and how they start to get into the golden years. And then we got financial, you know, models and we've got, um, it's a lot of pressure, you know, and, but I love that pressure and I love to learn. And if you're not in this game to learn and definitely concede the fact that you're dealing with mother nature and the changes that you continue to, to always progress and learn. You got to learn. And if you think you know everything, you're in the wrong business. Yeah, yeah we all know that one. Um, right, right. Oh, and on, on top of that, you got these crazy winemakers you got to deal with. You know, and, <laughs> and, and just like just like every year of every vintage year, no two winemakers are alike either. You know, one wants They're, this, one wants that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. Uh, yeah. But you know the best. But you know the the best partnerships are those that all are on the same page. I don't want people that 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 uh, that work for me that that give me yes. I want clients who are going to challenge me. I want to know, hey, how can we how can we do the best and be as consistent as possible and be ready because changes come our way whether we're in control of those or not in control of them. Right. Right. 
And what you do is super important. I mean, you know, listen, the end product, if we can't sell our goods, we can't, we can't, we can't tell our story. We can't make emotional connections without what you do. And I learned that the hard way from making wine. We can't do what we do. So kudos to you. Unfortunately, I got to give you kudos. (laughs) You know, from you, buddy, I'll take them today. All right. (laughs) Oh, man. And you know, it's funny. It's, yeah, I remember getting, when I first got into this gig, it was a little bit of grower versus winemaker. I mean, it was, yeah. uh, there, and, and to a point that still happens a little bit, but uh, boy, that that is not the case at all anymore. If you're going to be successful in either growing grapes or making wine, you have to work hand in hand, in my opinion. And that's the success stories. And I've, you've probably and, seen that. And, and you know what, Doug, you're right. Because it really, in almost any success story, you're going to find one common denominator, and that's a very good relationship. I don't care if it's with your partner or with your employees or with God or between grower wearing, wearing the grower hat and the winer hat. It's about the relationship. And that's going to get you through the thick and thin. And it's going to, hopefully, it's going to do is going to produce the best you got. Yeah. And hopefully have a little fun along the way, too. You know? oh, well, that's important. That's important. <laughs> so, My so- motto has always been work hard and play harder. Yeah, I know that about you. That's why I don't play with you. <laughs> I'll just work with you. Anyway, so you mentioned your story. Let's hear the Renneria story. This goes way back with your dad. So give me the whole intro yeah. there, baby. Well, let me start first with uh, with with uh, my mother. And my mother is the first one to to, to come to Napa Valley and, and uh, landed in Yawville in 1952 at the age of 13. Wow. Her and seven of her... Um, siblings sisters and brothers um came with their mom and dad and back then yeah that was a hard that was a hard that was a hard trek yeah she still tells the story um of at the age of 13 it took her about three days to get through the tunnel system she came to, to the united states illegally and um it was really difficult it was really hard and to hear somebody her age and and, and my mother who was here was actually deported and spent a couple of days one in napa county um and another one in san diego while she awaited to be deported to mexico uh, back to mexico with her sister so boy i, I tell you this is the first place where this starts because huh. because it was my mother right and i wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a mom and that's my mother so and, and actually, she picked when she came here at the age of thirteen. She came, she went all over California. They picked uh, tomatoes and cotton, artichokes, strawberries, uh, apples, and of course prunes, walnuts, and uh, and grapes. Like a lot of people looking for the American dream, she worked her tail off. So a lot has to do with my mother coming here first in Yawville, and then my father in 1962. In 1962, he came straight from San Diego in the Greyhound bus and landed at where the Rutherford Girl is now. That was the yeah, that was the handy store. That's right. And yeah, the handy store. That's where La Luna was. And the day my dad came here, uh, 1962, August 16th, actually met my mother that same day here. Uh, my uncle, my, had, my, dad, my father didn't have a dime to him, but my uncle came here um, before my father in 59 through the Braceros program. Okay. And still lives in the same house in the town of Rutherford, uh, right behind BV, uh, that he that he lived when he was there in '59, and that's how my dad got his start. He came here to at an opportunity and worked his tail off. That's and that's Salvador. Sal, your dad. Salvador. Salvador. Yeah, my, my old man. He's your still man. he's still a lot. He's still alive. He's 81. He's a pain. He's uh, <laughs> he's the uh, founder and uh, well, it's on his business card, and then uh, uh, and then the abuelito, grandpa. But he's uh, he's in charge of quality control. We're still trying to define what that really means for him. I know he gets a paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> he's not, it's nice to have your father on your on your uh, on your payroll. Oh yeah, I know that. I know that one. That was you know the deal. <laughs> oh, I know the deal, especially yeah. 
especially when he, he'd go out, you know, he, he expensed every lunch and dinner he ever had. It was like, that's no, Absolutely. that's okay. You know, without him, that's right. Without him, yep. you know, I wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be doing this. So that's right, Doug, without them. So he, so he started out, what was, what did he do when he first got here? Just working vineyards, working the fields? Uh, you know, his first, his first uh, place they started was at Sterling Vineyards in 1962 and was there for eight months and just really had a hard time with the field work from the town he came from, from uh, Santa Cruz, Vista Hermosa, Guadalajara in Mexico, uh, sorry, in uh, Jalisco. Mm-hmm. Um, he worked in the, in, the sugar, in the cane sugar fields. So he was used to working in the cane sugar fields. The work in the vineyard was a little bit harder and he was older when he was doing it. So he wasn't that fond of that first, his first try uh, at harvest. So he left with another friend who invited him to go to Chicago. <laughs> Chicago, in the, in Chicago, because my father from the small town was a pool shark, and he was a barber. That was his trade. He was a barber, huh. and so somebody had a, a bar. Uh, he went to go visit. Somebody had a pool hall. And said, "Hey, look, we'll put you right here. You can cut hair, and you know." And and uh, nobody knew he was a pool shark, but he was. <laughs> Back then, the you know you would be making uh, maybe I think the average uh, average wage hourly wage in uh, Chicago was about two bucks, and my father would be making forty fifty dollars a day. Just um, shooting pool, <laughs> crazy, crazy. So, so That's a then, crazy then story. Uh, yeah, and then he left because it got too cold. I mean, I think my dad's a little. I mean, he's a tough man, but boy, he was his skin was <laughs> skin was thin, not like mine. And so he he um, it got too cold for him. He came back and he settled back into back at Sterling again, and okay. he. He worked his butt off from a, a you know field worker picking grapes. He got recognized as a tractor operator, then as a foreman, then as a manager, then as a supervisor. And really, I think in 1968, when Sterling was developing the Three Palms Vineyard, owned by the Sloan, Sloan family, um, that he got his big chance to be the what he would say was one of the first real first Mexicans to be given a chance to do it his way, to do it. And they knew they knew him, and he they knew his talents, and that uh, you know he he got that opportunity, and he he took it, and he ran, and then uh, when uh, in '72, when um, a, a management company here was formed by the name of Walsh Vineyard Management, my father and Mike Walsh formed that company together. He was that number one man, and my father would tell you to this day that really where he he honed his skills is when they were developing the BV Vineyards alongside Andre Chalachev, because Andre took my father in and showed him the technical side of, of viticulture my father had the practical side down because even Andre wouldn't hold a pair of shears in front of my dad in the field no, nobody would I mean he's a skilled barber he's a skilled pull shark and <laughs> it's incredible how he wheels uh, shears I mean it, it's 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 a pretty cool thing to see him do it um, that's amazing so he was at yeah. Sterling for how long was he at Sterling so he was at Sterling for twelve, almost uh, yeah, almost twelve years, and then that vineyard management company started in seventy two, and he came, yeah, he came with my with uh, with Mike Walsh to start that company, and he stayed with Mike until 19, 1987. But along the way, he had developed the vineyards for uh, BV. He developed the uh, vineyards for um, Disney. In fact, I remember because I didn't know I I knew who the, I knew who Linda Disney was. I didn't know my father was walking with Linda Disney and Madame de Pens, which is so um, Silverado vineyard. Crazy, yeah. yep, Silverado vineyard, Madame de Pens for for uh, for for BV and uh, Andre Chalachev. And back then, Rick Foreman and and Nils Vengi. Um, I mean, he just had a a lot of, um, a lot of stories about a lot of folks. I think that's what was really interesting. What I heard when my father. And uh, he um, he retired. He announced his retirement in 1987, and I came home from from college for the, for his 
his going away party. And there were titans of industry in there. I, I knew the names. I didn't really appreciate the names, but the who's who were in that room. And the thing they were telling me were that, you know, yeah, your father's a master when it comes to vineyards and all that. Yeah, that, that nobody, he's second to none. But what made my father significant, what they thought of my father is that he is just such a good person and a leader and really showed that he cared. And he instilled the quali- what quality meant and pride of ownership to farm workers who were doing that work. Because back then, Andre Chalachev and a lot of other folks were really looking at honing down on, you know, two butt shoots, canes, arching, um, different techniques, but having pride of ownership. And my head was, my father was, and is still extremely passionate man. Wow. He gets, he gets hot. He gets hot. <laughs> well, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, big guy. Um, but, you know, I just found out something that I never knew about um, Mike Walsh's company. So... Yeah. I was, uh, let's see, when did we buy Red Shoulder? Um, yeah. 88, yeah. late 80s. I had another company farm it for a few years, develop it. That was time to um, make a change in the vineyard. So I hooked up with Walsh because they were right next to Red Shoulder doing the all the Kubasan yeah. stuff. That was their home base. And yeah. Walsh at the time, I mean, they were just an animal of a vineyard management company and still are. They're great. Yeah. And the reputation, I got to work with Mike for a few years before he retired, but uh, some of the other guys under him, but I never knew that your dad was with him in the early years. That's number one, that's, number one man. There you yep. go. Cause, and He's number um, one guy, cause the Walsh vineyard management company, <clears throat> like the Renneria company, um, known for quality, 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 quality. You want something done super good, super right. That's who you call. So, and not cheap. There's and like, not cheap. And not yeah, and yeah, I know that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, you realize I've, I've got my own vineyard crew right now. But hey, Oscars, maybe someday we could get together on something. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give me a special deal. Absolutely. All right. So, fantastic father. And then when do you, when do you show up into the world? Well, I showed up in the world in 1967. Um, then... Uh, that I remember, I have still do remember. I have thirteen. I have fourteen aunts and uncles that lived in the valley then. Still do some, um, um, and uh, thirty six for fourteen aunts and uncles, thirty six first cousins. I remember back then because we would congregate on the weekends in that soccer field, our less soccer field, and it was it. There were huge parties, but these were families that came and my father had, and between my mother and my father, so there was fourteen of them. But the Ogines and the Aguirres and the Lopez and the Guns—I mean, these families were huge. They were just huge <laughs> families. And uh, I, at the age of eleven, usually, yeah, about the age of eleven, unless you were a little bit bigger, uh, a male—that's about the time that uh, that the expectation of a of a of a male son of farmer of a farm worker would start working in the fields. Right. That would be your Thanksgiving, your Christmas, your summer vacations. But I thought it was pretty fun because my aunts, my uncle, my aunts and uncles, and my cousins were out there. You know, we were out there at Three Palm and we were doing shoot tying or removing. We couldn't prune because our hands were not strong enough to close the shears. Right. But everything else, that's how we lived. And I, and I liked it because I, I, I made money. And my, my mother and my father were very, very persistent about making sure that I understood that if I didn't want to work with a shovel long term, I better study. And my mom was. She was, it was, if it wasn't for my mother, I don't, I, my education, it was, it was my mom that did it. I only spoke Spanish. Like all of my cousins, we didn't speak English in, in St. Lena. And, um, you know, for the, my preschool and my first grade, first grade, it was uh, only Spanish speaking uh, kids in that class. And my mother intentionally at the, the, at the end of my first grade, she moved us to Napa. We were the only family that moved out of St. Lena. We moved to Napa. 
And for the reason so that I go to a Catholic school and has to be Catholic and to learn the language. Well, she tossed me in second grade at Santa Paulinaris, uh, not knowing a word of, of English. Uh, that was pretty traumatic. <laughs> that was pretty Gosh, traumatic. You got to be kidding but me. But she's what, awesome. What was that like? That must have been crazy. You probably remember it like oh. it was yesterday, right? You know, yeah, I, yeah, uh. I do. It was, I had these images. I, there was, there was the nuns that protected me. There was a priest, Father Bob, who was great, but I got picked on. I, I really did. I got picked on. I got in my first fight when I was in second grade, actually with Steve Levesque, who's a winemaker at Hall. Now he's on his own. He's been with Chalk Hill. I've known that guy since second grade. He will debate to this day, but I actually kicked his butt. I actually broke his, actually, he is, he had blood on him, not on me. My blood was from his, from my fist. Listen but, um, Oh. But I, but I got, I got picked on. But you know what? I, it made me strong. And my father was a, was a person. I remember my first. That was, that was a small fight. But my first real fight was in seventh grade, and, uh, and, and my father, even though I, I you know, I, I defended myself, he was not happy about the fact that I, 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 I was, I was getting physical or I would punch somebody and he showed me a picture he says you think that you 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 don't have any idea about discrimination let me show you so he showed me a picture that he's on the beach in Chicago in 1962 the beach the ocean the the, right. the, the giant lake, yeah, the lake. and right. it said it signed it said no uh it, no Chinese no Mexicans no dogs allowed on this beach Ooh. that kind of that, that put it in perspective to me I thought you know I do I I do um I do understand, and I am listening. I know the hardships for folks. My father and my mother were really great about making sure I didn't hold, you know, resentment. And I, I, um, I really sought ways to forgive. My mother is extremely forgiving, and for whatever reason, um, I got that trait from my mother. Crazy, it's crazy. It's crazy. crazy, but good for her. You know, and you know, and Doug. The other thing is that you know, the the every one of our families, all of us, were told. The kids were told that we were going to be here for a few years, and then we're make they're making money, and we're going back to the mother country. We're going back to Mexico where they can build a house and have some money. That never happened, and it was pretty disruptive. Of my thirty six first cousins, there's uh, two hand, uh, you know, six or seven of us that ever went to college. Wow, I'm just blown away hearing this story. Um, that must have been kind of disconcerting too. You're growing up thinking, you know, at any time you guys might move back to Mexico. That must have been kind of. I mean, it was hard because you didn't know you were conf- at that age. You, yeah, you know, it was it was hard to know. I just, uh, but I did know this that it took hard work what we were doing here. But I was, you know, there was a lot of family, a lot of people here. The parties were big back then. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a, <laughs> a lot of people on the weekends. And my father, he sponsored and coached the semi-pro soccer team. So we always had, whether it was the workers or whether he was, you know, helping them out financially or whatever. My dad gave a lot to to uh the community but uh, soccer was just like a huge thing i mean there were people were in our house all the time i didn't know who they were they knew me that we knew them but um my, my my dad was extremely um very open to the community and and a, and, a, and a very important role model you know when i started taking over in 80 87 i joined my uh, sorry in 89 when i joined my father and finally bought bought him out in 95 the one thing he told me was listen here's the thing I'm going to sell it to you, but under one condition, do not screw up my last name. We have a reputation. Don't do anything that's going to ruin that and improve on it. Do the right thing. Show that you care. At the end of the day, the vine, just, just, if you, when you get the grower and the, and the winemaker or, uh, or the winery and the grower at odds, do what you think is right with the vine. Just but be honest. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was my saving grace. Well, he's a, he's a great father, man. You know, great example, yeah. great mentor. You know, I've, I've had the same experience. Pretty yeah. neat. So, we're pretty lucky. Yeah, You're lucky. We're lucky guys. So, high school, Justin Siena. 
Justin Cena High School. Again, Napa. keeping up with my, yep, yep. Justin yeah. High School. Yep, I, 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 I was I a good Catholic kid. Yeah, I played football, um, and I played uh, I played basketball when I was in grade school. I played um, a little bit of baseball when I was in grade school, but uh, what I played was football when I was in high school. That was that was kind of my sport. I never learned to play soccer because my father was so <laughs> deep into it, and I was his son. Well, oh, he was also on. very tough, tough on, on his son. He was very tough. He wanted me the best. If I wasn't going to be the best, he didn't. It was kind of interesting. This is a story that he tells me. He's like, you know, I didn't want to teach you because I thought, what if you failed? I'm like, what do you mean if I failed? He was just... My father was a perfectionist as well, and I thank him for it. He worked, he worked, he uh, he worked me to the bone in, in learning the trade from him. My father it was also not just the technique, but my dad was the really the mental part of the game, which was, you know, how you treat people, what do you do, how, conflict resolution. But this was like an early stage of life. In the morning, he wanted me to be the first out there. He wanted me the last one to come home. But he would talk about work. Every meal, every dinner, every after hours, he'd walk into my room. What would you do? How could you see yourself getting rid of that person without firing him? I mean, it was, it was relentless. I, I, I moved in with. I moved in. I moved in after I graduated from college. He called me. I had no intent of coming back to Napa for the reasons kind of what you were saying is that I, I also took it for granted. It was a farming community, but I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to find my own self, and I went to after Justin Santa High School. I graduated there and I went to St. Mary's College, in Moraga, in the, in the East Bay. And um, yeah, what was the, what was the plan? What did you study? I loved it. I studied business. And that, okay. I wanted to do business, and out of a class of a thousand and three people, there were only uh, four Latinos. And I was actually, rec- you know, recruited by a, a money manager. I didn't know what that meant. I, what, <laughs> I had no idea, but I was excited because I bought some suits. Then my father called me, August seventeenth, about a week before I'm going to start. He's like, "Hey, you know, you know, I have this little thing. I'm managing." Uh, 40 acres i got a you know five employees and myself and he was doing everything uh it started in 87 and i was doing it you know but now i i think i'm gonna take it more seriously and i wondered if you come home and help me i didn't ask him what he's <laughs> gonna pay me and ask him what it was and uh, i came home i was i'm indebted to my parents for their sacrifice and their story and what they've been able to do for me and for, and for my family and for others so that was an easy response i wasn't aware he wasn't gonna pay me um <laughs> But so I guess me, he wait, paid wait, me a food. Wait, wait, yeah. well, let me get this straight. So he was at uh, Walsh till 87. Yes. Retired from Walsh. And, they, so, and then he started his own vineyard management company in 87. Yes. So he was, yes, how, how, old, how old was he? 50-ish? Late 40s, early 50s. And you're getting out Which of college. Young. Yeah. 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 Is. Get, I was getting out of college and he called me and he says, come on down. And then, then uh, for that first experience, I don't know if you remember this vintage, Doug, but 1989, it ran. It, it, it rained. Oh, boy. Yeah, it I was remember. brutal. Yeah, it was no <laughs> It <fun>. was brutal. <laughs> it was no fun. And I was up in Child's Valley. We were harvesting fruit, Sauvignon Blanc. And he had helicopters he rented because it rained. And the fruit, you could touch it. It would dis- disintegrate. You touch yeah. it. it would, and I was, driving a, I was driving an eight-ton forklift. Because um, that's exactly what I did for 14 months when I came to work for my dad. He's like, no, 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 you're not gonna, you're gonna go right here. I'm like, where? Like, get on that tractor, get on that forklift, get on that chopper, get on that mower. You're gonna cultivate in row mow. You're gonna weed, you're gonna weed whack, which is good. You're gonna spray. I, you know, I wanted to learn. I wanted to do what my father told me, but I want to learn from him and and give him that pride of ownership, but to try to re, try to gain respect. So I worked as hard as I could, as hard as I could, and as fast as I could, and as as the best that I could do. And he was tough. My oh. father was tough. My father was tough, but but I appreciate it. I love him for being tough. I blame him for being tough, but I also blame him for my success and who I am. 
I'm with you. So meanwhile, when does your lovely bride come into the picture? My, my beautiful bride showed up in 1986. She was a junior at, at, uh, in, in high school here at Jacina High School. And I was a freshman in college. And my cousin, John Lopez, was dating her best friend. And I didn't know her. Uh, but apparently she knew me in high school. Um, I was, I, I was, uh, you know, was, I was uh, a bit popular back then. No longer, thank God. But bit, a bit back then. And, and she knew who I was. And I, apparently I dated one or two of her, of her classmates. But I, I, I didn't look for, I was looking for a blind date. So my cousin told me it was at a 49er game. And I'm like, holy sh! I'm definitely going to the 49er. <laughs> I mean, if I get a chance, because I never had. Right. My first experience, blind date, a Niner game. I thought there was got to be something wrong with this girl, and then I, then I, I met her at the at the stadium tailgating. And I'm like, holy moly! I got this two bird two birds one stone. I thought maybe she was you know she had you know bad eyesight. I wasn't sure. <laughs> maybe she misidentified the wrong guy, you know. But man, it just just became uh, instant. It was just an interesting relationship we had. It was love at first sight. Um, but she was young, seventeen, and I was a little young at nineteen. Um, so we dated for a few months after that. And then, um, as soon as the Niner season was, uh, <laughs> was over, <laughs> as as not really true. Over. Maybe, maybe it might've been, it might've coincided. And we ended up going to St. Mary's college. Um, uh, no plan of other ones cause we were broken up and we got right. back together about three years after she graduated, two years after she graduated, I proposed to her in 94. We got married in 1995 and she was actually, there were only three employees of Renteria Vineyard Management in 1995. She was one one of the three employees. We had more than that. We had 20 employees. Huh. She was the office. She was the admin. She did all the payroll. She did, well, we didn't have HR department, but she did payroll accounts, receivable <laughs> accounts, payable. Um, but we were, you know, we were a, a three-man band, my dad, um, Denise, and myself. But, you know, I got to tell you this, Doug, before I forget, in I don't know if you remember the year that your that CIA when Copia opened and they gave you their first year awards. It was Grower of the Year, I think Winemaker of the Year, and Vineyard Manager of the Year. I don't remember the three awards given. It was your dad, and it was at the it was at the um, that auditorium at the CIA. Right, the, the first barrel. year, you know, because because they went out, they went they went uh, you know they went out of business there a, few, a couple two three years after that. But your dad, but your dad, uh, Robert Mondavi. And my father were the first three recipients of those those awards that were, you know, they're in that theater. And I remember it was, I mean, all the speeches were very touching. And my father, <laughs> this is kind of funny. <laughs> my father is talking and he gave one of the best speeches ever. Very emotional for uh, for everybody in the, right. in, in, the, in, the, in the seats. And uh, he said, and I have to say that if I look and say what was been my, my uh, the, the one person in my life, of the success, you know, in my, in where I have, and I thought it, it was going to be my mother or I, but then what he was saying, referring to the business, I'm like, I'm getting ready, right? I'm prepping myself. I'm kind of adjusting my seat. I'm like, oh, <laughs> wiping off the, wiping off the tear. And he's like, so my, my daughter-in-law, Denise, and she stands oh. up. I, I was, it, I wasn't jealous. I was kind of taken back and then super happy and proud. He's like, if it wasn't for her to keep the peace with that guy and to help me with that guy, you know, we wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. And, I got to give it to her. <laughs> there you go. Well, good. She deserves sums it. it up. Yeah. She just kind of, kind of tells you. It tells you. Yeah. No, I, I've seen her in action with your three gorgeous daughters. You know, all the school stuff and organizing this and organizing that through the years. I mean, she's always doing, always on it, and just so much energy. Just amazing to me. You know, um, you know how life is. Life is 
you know, life goes pretty quick. There's a lot of things you can, you, you see sometimes don't stop. And I, I'm very thankful that my wife, and I continue to learn from her, is this side of slowing down and seeing and being present. It's not easy. Mindfulness, meditation. I've been, I've done doing some crazy things. I started eight years ago because of my wife, but I'm all in. And guess what? It, it really has done a lot for me. A lot. Good. I wish I knew it 18 years ago, but uh, thank God I've, uh, I've, I have found some religion and, and I listen to when she preaches it. <laughs> good, good, good to hear it. So back on the work front, you're still working with your dad and uh, at some point he steps back and you take over. What, tell me about that. Yeah. So, uh, in 93, he started having some health issues again and that was, he was, um, having, um, anxiety attacks. He all of a sudden he just get, uh, feel like he's walking and could could walk into a black hole oh, my dad had a lot he had a lot of stress and it was to be honest with you he, he told me so that our his doctor is like it was self-induced he couldn't slow himself down if he was talking about something he's so passionate whether it was uh um you know soccer or or vines he just get excited he, he just gets so excited um and so, and he asked me if I wanted, he wanted a transition. Plus he loved the game of golf and he wanted to play more golf every day. And he, <laughs> he plays, he plays six days of golf, um, six days of golf a week here at Silverado Country Club. Does he dad. still? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> at you know, when I knew he retired, let me, let me tell you when I knew he finally retired. I, Cause in 93, he started, you know, started to, to, to start to started that, um, towards that, that path. But in 95, it was in the month of June, and I was in the office, and it was just my wife and I. And we were in a little shop, a little, a little office, and we were. Um, my dad came in. I'm on the phone, and he uh, he throws down a black and white eight and a half by eleven photocopy, a black and white of a golfer digest, of a golfer and a golfer digest, a swing. It was like a swing it was a diagram, but I'm on the phone. And he's talking, he's not talking to me, but he's making gestures and he's looking at me and he's like, you know, you got to break the, I can see he's trying to do is break his hips and uncoil and he's talking to me while I'm on the phone. And now I just got to tell you, because I like to play golf too, but when I started working for my dad, I stopped playing golf. Right. That was it. I used to play two, three days a week. And when I came to work for him, nothing, Nothing, zero. No, 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 zilch, zilch. And so, uh, um, so he, he throws his paper, he leaves, I get off the phone and I turned to my wife. I'm like, oh, my God. That was 1995. So my dad just retired. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, my dad never comes and talks to me. We talk about golf, but but it's the fourth or fifth conversation, the third or fourth hour. Not the first thing. He just retired. There you go. He just retired. And he, and he did. That's when he stopped looking over my shoulder. I mean, wow. he retired. That's so great. Gave up the reins. I was, you know, it was, it was interesting. When I graduated from college, I had offers for, for work, working for at Behringer by Bob Steinhauer at Hartwell and the color places. And, and my dad told me about this, like, yes, you know, you're getting some offers to go work, but you don't know poop about vendor management. I mean, I taught <laughs> you things, you know how to hold shears and stuff, but I said, why would they offer me a job? Because you're my son. They think because you're my son, I'm going to tell you or teach you. That's crazy. No way. But, but you should know you can go there and you're going to make money. But if you come with me in this business, you're going to see Cabernet growing all over the Valley in different places. You get to experience different things. And to me, that was, and of course, I, I had, I, I needed to work for my father and help him. Well, that was your, plus that was your PhD. I mean, that, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, look what, you never would have had that. Um, I've been, fr- oh, not frustrated, but sometimes, I'm not jealous, I'm not frustrated, but I look at, it's like, uh, folks that are consulting winemakers and get to go to have seven or eight or nine clients. And so they get to go to these different spots that, 
to get to deal with fruit from different areas, you know, in, yeah, a, in any given yeah. year. And that to me, I mean, I mean, if someone said, Hey, what would you like to do? That would be really fun just to go yeah. try to learn fruit in a new spot. I mean, you know, yeah. we have great vineyards. I love our fruit and we know it well, but it, you know, you know, sometimes you're looking to do new things. So that would be kind of cool. And you got that early on, which has made you invaluable as a vineyard manager, you know, f- without a doubt. We're one of the first to start picking Sauvignon Blanc. And we started last week in the Valley. We'll be one of the last to be picking Cabernet because we grow cap. We, we grow grapes in all 16 Appalachians in the Napa Valley. And, you know, we bring in about 8,000 tons and it's Oof. from one end to the <laughs> other, from one end to the other. And you know, our biggest client is, is Ron Bauer and our smallest client is Blackbird. With yeah. full gamut. I work with 48 winemakers. Um, and that in itself is is pretty interesting and awesome. And, you know, I, I, uh, my wife and I were lucky enough to, to, to oh. uh, purchase the, the Brown Ranch from uh, Saintsbury in 2013. And then 2016, pretty sizable acreage of 58 acres in Oakville, right uh, uh, between Bonnie's Vineyard and um, Groth. And before I came on the scene, that fruit was going to two homes, two big homes, which is fine. But today they go to 32 homes, uh, small vintners, small folks, small folks that get a chance, you know, but I'm also doing it because I'm looking to be the best. And it takes, you know, it usually takes a whole cycle of a vineyard's age to get to a point where you think you kind of know it. And then we start with new rootstock and maybe some new clones. But land is the land. Terroir is the terroir. That is the consistency of how one can be good, such as yourselves, right? I mean, you know the land. You know its tendencies. And you know. But that, that, that there's more to, to it than that. You know an adversity. What do you do in 2011? What do you do differently in 15? Right. What are you going to do to just to predict? So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I know what you're, you're saying. But, man, honing in on your skills for the, for the length of our lives, your life, is still going to be challenging. Man, <laughs> you've got a lot. Eight thousand tons. So, how many how many acres you guys manage? Your company? twenty uh, twenty about twenty one hundred. Wow. Almost twenty two hundred. Almost twenty two hundred. But we'll do small sites. Hey. We do you know we you've four got, seasons and you've the got, montage. We do resort yeah. Groups. You got you do resort groups. You do wineries. You do a lot of independent growers also. I do a third of our a third of our management uh, is for independent growers, two thirds for wineries, and a third for the the growers. And there was a time when I wouldn't take on smaller than 20, 25 acres. And I I start in, in about eight years ago. I said to myself, you know, if I really want to, if I really want to do do you know make it make a mark in this valley and help others, I got to start thinking about smaller properties. So now huh. we're we're a point where we we can um, you know we can select who we work with. Um, and it's not be, not to be pompous, but at the end of the day, I just want to work with people that that like me and people that I like that that I, that I like that we get along. Well, you have to get. Sounds easy. I was going to say. Sounds easy. I was going to say. You talk about forty-eight winemakers, and you throw in how many growers on top of that. That's probably. Oh yeah. Uh, how many clients? A hundred clients. I mean, you've got to get along with everybody. That's yeah, yep. that's a that's a ch- and just and these yeah. are and these are like not like. Uh, a and B black and white decisions. These are like, well, should we water it again or not? Or, Gee, you think it's going to get hot or not? Gee, I think we should oh. do this. No, I think we should prune it this way. I, every decision. Oh man. If you don't get along. Wow. I yeah. Just, you've I, got to have support. I got a headache. It's crazy. Thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's those partnerships, right? It's the people. It's where we live. It's where you see them. It's, you see their kids. Yeah. You uh, you live together. Um, it's it's really interesting because I'm also I've also at my age of 52, the ripe age of 52, <laughs> I have seen and uh, um, you know succession that works and succession that doesn't work and and you know it really starts with generation and the, and their relationships 
and and how they earn it. You know, we try to do the best we can. I certainly am. I'm just I'm happy. I got really good relationships in the valley with folks. But you, you know, that started with my father. Started with my mother. It's with my family. And what I care most about is the community. And most most of that community would be when it comes to farm workers and their families. Yeah. That's what we're really passionate about. And you know, and and the other thing is that um, I'm also a, a client. I grow grapes for our label. My wife and I own a a, a small label called Tres Perlas, which is uh, it means three pearls in Spanish. Yeah, and t- tell me, our, yeah, tell me about that one. So it's named yeah. in honor of your daughters. And <laughs> yep, three generations. Three generations, three daughters, okay. um, and all three generations that were here. The vineyard that we have in Oakville is called 360 because my father landed in Rutherford when he first came here. My mom in Yawfield, well, Oakville is right in the middle, and it really completes that circle, really, of our story. And to, to be in the epicenter of the valley. You know, we grow grapes in all the Appalachians, but it's nice to have that Oakville and really have our own property also in, uh, in Carnero. So we make less than 1,000 cases. Our, our wines are club member only. Um, you're not going to find them in a store, um, or, or in a restaurant, but, uh, and we've just been really fortunate that, you know, we, we network with people around the Valley who, who help us and promote us because we don't have a place. You got to believe in what we do and, um, and kind of buy without, buy, buy without tasting the wines in many cases. And so, yeah. uh, we, I've never, you know, I didn't know about this market at 200 bucks a bottle, 225 and 400. Thank you, Andy Beckstoffer and the Beckstoffer Tokelon Vineyard. Cause we, we produce a few, few wines from that property, but that's what I do. I'm making the very best. I promised my wife four years ago that if I didn't make money by year five, that I would give it up, make 50 cases of expensive wine to give away. And that was the deal. <laughs> so so far so good good news so well well welcome to the winemaking world what do you think about kind of crazy you want you yeah, want to cra- you want to get big no you want to increase no. production come on no 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 thank you i'm i'm, I'm for the first time i'm making money in the wine business no way come on distribute to got- 50 states get on a plane with me come on baby you can do it yeah right yeah well when i had I, I you know my wife and i first made our wines in 97 in 2013 she said you know you've been losing your butt on this and you still want to do this and now you're trading time with your kids and your time and i said you're right i quit Forget right, it. But, right. but can I make a couple of small, really high end, you know, get the very best stuff I can find and pedigree of fruit? She's like, yeah, try that. We got five years. <laughs> <laughs> she's That's a lovely woman, a, but she's tough as nails. I got to love well, that girl. Well, oh, well, you know, and she 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 um, graduated with a degree in finance and a, and a minor in economics. So she's smart. Yeah. And she, yeah. She's been very tolerant and very patient of me. I'm with you. You mentioned uh, quickly you got your involvement with uh, the farm workers, local Napa Valley Farm Worker Foundation. That's a big part of your life, right? It is. Tell, absolutely. Tell me and, about that. <clears throat> you know, and I was, like I said, it goes back really to the first time I was really exposed and introduced to the needs in the valley. And I saw them, but really who could help? And this, again, it started with your father at Clinical Lay. And then from there, even um, working uh, as a, I was uh, on the board of trustee at Justina High School. My responsibility there was to try to try to um, bring in um, from feeder schools Latinos on scholarship rides to Justina High School. I was on the board of the Napa Valley Community Foundation for a few years, Clinical Lays Board for a few years, um, and then Farm Worker Foundation. I really have settled to that. I, I've, I've removed myself from several boards to you know to focus on a, a few, um, and that was uh, Blue Oak School. Right. I served there for six years, and and then um, here most recently and currently, my pride is really the uh, Farm Worker uh, Napa Valley Farm Worker Foundation. That to me is it's, it's huge, and I love it. 
tell me more about the foundation. What what do you guys what do you guys do? What are you involved with? So it started. You know, that really what it does is that it provides um, educational uh, programs for farm workers and a tremendous amount of other things for um, for their families. So we have uh, like our Dia de la Familia, where we educate folks. Obviously, we were linked to the Navalley Grape Growers, but became such an entity in itself and the need that, you know, our, uh, for example, we have a 16 week, we have nine different kinds of courses for a 16 week English literacy program. So if you mm-hmm. attend that and many of the growers here um, help their employees who want to learn the, the language, the English language, but there's, and it's called all the specialized trait, all the specialized training. And really in, in that, but here the specialized training is pretty remarkable, right? If you want to know a trade and leadership skills, so we have a gamut of things that we offer for uh, for the growers and for the farm worker foundations for, and for their families. I mean, right now, COVID nineteen, we have funded specific endeavors and partnered up partnered up for you know um, mobile testing for COVID nineteen for our farm workers. But educating and staying on top, it's pretty hard. You know, there's over fifty vineyard management companies, let alone how many you know hundreds of growers there are. Right. To have a resource like that that's really taking care of farm worker the the farm workers is huge. And this really this is a baby that was born by the Nefeli grape growers uh, nine, 10 years ago when they had a fundraiser for fund the need and we can raise some money. That was $20,000. That was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Last year was, um, you know, uh, over $1 million. Wow. And the whole fun- fundraiser was over, sorry, over $2 million. So people give with their hearts here, especially, especially when it comes to farm workers. You know, Doug, I was going to tell you that when, when I think about the story of the forefathers in this in this um in this valley robert mandavi was one that was really significant too one that you touched on earlier was like the advances of viticulture for us and you know and this progression and how we you know and and the evolution of napa valley robert mandavi did a tremendous amount of things when we we get in, we got into phylloxera and we got eaten by phylloxera here and then we rotate we uh, and started replanting with friend rootstock um robert mandavi planted all the all the different rootstocks on different um on on uh, different um uh, trellis systems, different kinds of pruning systems, and how they thinned it and the berries they measure. He spent so much money on R&D. It was ridiculous. And you know what he did? He opened that door for that research and those right. findings to ev- everybody. People don't, re- people don't remember that. It's a lot of decisions that we made back then were based on his uh, trial and errors. No, and, I, I, I tell the story. And, crazy. You know, I, I, could, I remember calling up Brad yeah. Warner and saying, can I pick your brain for two hours? And he was the seller master. And he yep. sat down and yep. told me, he answered every question I had. No, you know, yeah. it was great. Crazy. And, and you remember his birthday he had, um, I think it was his 80th birthday. It might have been his 75th, I remember. But that was the first time that made such a huge impression because I remember the folks that were planning that. We were growers from Mandavi. Um, so we were, you know, we tied in and we, we could hear. And I, I remember going to his party and I remember the Rothschilds because he had like his favorite 20 restaurants all over the world that had booths. And there was... Who's who of people? I didn't know who they were, but I was told they were who's who's stars and celebrities and such and chefs and stuff. But it, throughout that crowd, there were field workers there. Sure. And I, when I walked in, I was taken back. And, and I later found out that he changed the date of this because he and, and also because he wanted to have all of his employees show up, not just um, non farm right. workers, but right. all his farm workers. You got to give it up to a guy like that. To me, that, made, that <laughs> meant a lot. That meant a lot. No, he was a great guy. I mean, we've yeah. got, uh, we have big shoes to fill, you and I, and all the ones following us. So off we go. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. But the Nathalie Farm Worker Foundation and what they do is, is awesome. My wife and I, 
sorry, the, the, the Trichard, John and Michelle Trichard, and my wife and I are the co-chairs of Stomp, which uh, which will be at the end of August here on the 28th, <laughs> a okay. little plug. Right. For uh, And we've got our fund to need that I'll be presenting in the video, and it's always a tearjerker. Um, <laughs> but it's an opp- opportunity for all of us to, to stand up and, and you know, and, uh, and uh, show that we care and do the right thing. Dynamite. And if people wanted to find your wine, Trace Purlas, Purlas, how would they yeah, find that? Yeah, yeah, com. So T R E S P E R L A S. I say I spell it out for you, Doug, because I know that Spanish was not your first language. So bad, you got you know something. <laughs> I you know you are lucky you're not here right now. I would be. I'm going after Trace Purlas. I could never roll my R's. That's why I only got a B in Spanish. Not too bad. <clears throat> not bad. Me yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Me too. Oscar Renneria, thank you so much for taking this time. I know harvest is just starting, so I do appreciate it because I know you're busy chasing grapes and forklifts and tractors and light stands and all that stuff. Thank you big time, brother. I appreciate it. You take care. Thank I will. You. I'll see you on the road. Be good. All right, man. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. I've known Oscar a long time, and it's been great to see how he's gone from someone who knows his way around a vineyard to really becoming a community leader, someone who's trying to make the valley a better place for all of us. If you get a chance, check out the wine he and Denise are making under their Trace Perlas label. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave a review at Apple Podcasts, as that helps other people find the show. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, please send us an email at podcast at schafervineyards.com. We'll see you next time.